now arriving downtown Santa Monica Station. Hey Adam, it's time for Notes on Your Notes. Adam, this is crazy. All, all I said to you is I have this idea about, you know, doing loops, you know, uh -huh. in, in terms of performance work and rehearsal. And you're like, oh, I, well, you got, I got that, three ninety nine. dollars so, Well, how I mean, you, I feel like this, this speaks to, like, just do it. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow it became a Nike commercial. Uh-huh. Um, no, and I'm just actually... I'm just resetting everything so we can get started here. Okay, so Josh said to me, we were talking, and I'm trying to help him, not really help him, but we're just talking about creative projects because Josh is extremely generous, and he's always like, what about this project? Why don't you, direct, like, why don't you write a short and have this person direct it? Anyways, he's really uh, generous, and I'm always like, well, what does Josh want to do with his creative projects? And Josh is like, I don't know, and then he was telling me how about how he's getting better at recording and audio editing, and that was really cool, and then... He said, you know what I really want to do is I want to be able to do loops. And I was like, what? Like DJ Josh Townsend? That's <laughs> and, right. And, and he's like, no, no, no. I want to be able to create loops live. And I said, well, how about for $4, we create loops right now? So here we go. Notes on your notes. We get loopy with loops. <laughs> okay. So there's an app for your iPhone called Loopy HD. And I want to give a big shout out to Kaya from Kauai for showing me this app. I'd always like loops to begin with. But for those of you who don't know, loops are just like you can layer tracks. So you use, let's say you record your first track and it's like a beat and then you do like maybe a, like a rhythm and then you do a melody and you just keep layering it. And a lot of people do loops live on stage impro with improvisation because they build songs on stage. Mm -hmm. So That's um, what I'm looking at. Yeah. So I'm trying to think how we can do this because Josh is in my ear. So I'm gonna. So am I gonna have to build the loop? I guess I'm gonna yeah. have to build the loop because yeah. yeah. I'm on my end. Okay. So, the first thing because is you, because you are on your end. Yes, yes, Adam, and it'll always be on your end. You okay. will always be there. So here I'm gonna show you Josh demo. Okay. I'm gonna hit this. Mm hmm Okay. Adam, Adam's pressing a button on the upper left-hand corner of the okay, screen. So okay. So it's starting to spin. So that's the first layer. Okay. Mm -hmm. So. Um, so we're going to do that now. So let's do it now. Okay. Okay. So now I've got okay. that loop. Can you hear that? Wow. Sexy. You can hear that, right? I can, yes. Uh huh. Okay. So that's a terrible, terrible. So now I'm going to hit the second one. And it's going to bring me in. So now I've got two layers, right? I've got the wow. Uh-huh. So should we could do it. What do you want to, you want to do a third one? What should, yeah. what should the third layer be? Third layer is um, a line, a, uh, yeah, a, line yeah, a couple of words, yeah, something, yeah. Um, so let's do something from like that everyone would recognize. Um, 
You want me to? You looking at me from? Fantastic. <laughs> from uh, taxi, taxi driver. Drive. Yeah. Okay, so I'm gonna hit it, and so it's not recording yet. It's getting ready because it's gonna count Sink. me in with the loop. Yeah, syncing. Yeah. You talking to me? You looking at me? You looking at me? Okay. Dude, it's so much fun. Okay, so for $4, you can create loops while you go to Hollyhock. <laughs> for the purpose of our poor listeners, I'm going to stop that. I can, have, I can have endless fun on the plane now. Yes. And I think the benefit of that is that you, um, you could start working with loops on a really small scale, and then when you get fancy, I'll help you, and you can get like a real looper and real equipment. But... Even for now, like you could, I mean, you have like an iPhone XR. I'm sure that there are people who are doing loops on stage just off their iPhones. That's like crazy. You don't even probably need much more equipment. We would just have to figure out a way to run a mic into your iPhone, which is not impossible. Well, that's easy. I'm, I'm more concerned about how would you run, a, how would you run a, a, a cord out of your phone in order to hook into a speaker. Hook into a PA. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it's doable. Well, actually, I can Bluetooth it. I have a Bluetooth auxiliary speaker that I could use, right? I'll, I'll deal with technical. You just okay. focus on being loopy. Okay. <laughs> don't, Josh, okay. don't do technical. Don't, don't do tech. It doesn't look good on you. It's not a okay. good look for you. Yeah. Okay. Um, so anyways, that was just, is there something that our viewers can take away from that painful experience we just gave them? Yeah, this is what you can take away. Mm. Um, and I got this advice from my friend Kevin Gordon, who's a documentary filmmaker, when I was trying to make something, I can't even remember, I was trying to videotape something. And I was like, being like, well, what about this camera and that, about that? And he's like, just go make something. He's like, shoot it on your iPhone if you have to. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so that's our takeaway. We always talk about this. Because you learn so much from but the it, doing. So even if you just played yeah. around, if you downloaded that Loopy app mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and just made like five or 10 loops on your Hollyhock trip, you would yeah. know more about like the loop making process by the time you got back. Yeah. So I that love was, it. So, so that's, uh, so what, what's your vision? Like maybe you would, you would do loops on stage. Yeah. It's like, I, you know, it's such a, it's such an exciting area for me and I'm excited just sharing with it. But so here's the thing is that, is that, you know, in, in, in the work I do, um, you know, we work with sound and movement, right? And then, um, and then to actually create a monologue, you know, you, when I when I when I work on stage, sometimes I get three words from the audience, and then I create a, a riff or a monologue in, in front of people, and then to be able to have layers of that monologue through tech, through a loop machine, would just like yeah. kick it to the next level. Fuck yeah, it would. Yes, and I'm just really excited by that proposition. It's such a good feeling when that new excitement about a creative thing. I think it would be yeah. great. You could be so creative. When I see really gifted musicians do loops on stage, it's so cool. Because you can yeah. kind of see them build like, okay, this is what I think the beat is. This is the rhythm. Okay, and these are all the different mel melodies. And really uh -huh. good people, their ears are good, so they'll be like... Let's do this melodic line here, and then this one like a third up, and then now I'm gonna add a little like accent on the piano here. Mm -hmm. There's cool. There's some cool people out there doing it. 
And then there's this girl named Emily or M or Amelia. Or I don't know her. Anyway, she's really popular on Instagram and Facebook, and she travels and da 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 da. And she's the girl who has those videos where she like plays the guitar. She oh yeah, I've seen those. She, I've seen those. And actually. she goes to the next station, next station. I'm like, that is so much fun to hear that thing being created in person, in live and in person. I love it. Yeah, she's a little loop factory, that lady. Yeah, and then on top of that, to do that with... Nar- and the, the exciting part for me is to add in the element of narrative. Yeah, I and thought about that, that too. Yeah, I think Iron Glass from This American Life has done some experimentation with this in his live performance. He does... He does uh, there are less sort of loops as much as I think he triggers different sounds from his iPad on stage. So when he wants certain sound bites or certain sounds to come in, he's mm-hmm. triggering it all live. So he's giving a talk, but he's like triggering different sounds while he's talking. So maybe it's a quote from someone, maybe it's music. That's my vision. I want to, my, what my thought is like, I want to be able to do a story on stage that I would normally do, but I want uh-huh. to do it with music and then maybe found sound or recordings from people I admire, like speeches, like, like being able to mix in different elements. That's fantastic because each, the, yeah, because you're actually, yeah, you're actually creating different layers of the experience for people in a or in an organic way. My my vision is is for everything to be created in the moment for the moment and for it never to exist again. So it never it, it would never little be Buddhist, repeatable. Little, it would never little, be, yeah, little, little loopy mandala. <laughs> I'm a Buddha baby. I'm a Buddha gone. baby when it comes to loops. Like Kaiser Shose. And then, and then it's gone. gone. Yeah, and that's it. Um, but everything but Josh, when do you know to quit? <laughs> this is all nice fantasy, but when do you know really to quit? That this is just, hey man, you're not going to be an onstage loop guy. When do you know to quit? Oh, wow. You're bringing me down, man. I'm feeling it. I mean, I feel like so high and so, you know elevated and then like when are you gonna quit man well it's not a question i'm just hey look man you like to talk about self-awareness and i'm just like thinking you're a self-aware guy like when do you know when it's time to quit something a project well first of all the the question alone has an implication of of that it's a fait accompli it's a predetermined outcome that i will quit which is very interesting in and of itself um yeah when does anyone know when it has to do with orientation it has to do with do you look at yourself quitting something which is in our in our culture somehow akin to failure i quit and there's a little bit of emotional life that's that's in there as well as opposed to i choose to graduate myself from this project do you know it's it's a very different orientation quit quit here's where i see this issue I think it comes are, are you at, are you at the leading edge of your growth or are you stagnant? I mean, I I I would choose to ask the question that way. Go ahead, I'm I'm listening. I think I agree. I agree. Like that's a really good filter. Like, is this experience helping me grow, or am I <laughs> repeating some pattern that's not helpful? I agree. That's mm-hmm. a good filter. Uh, I think it comes down to how do you view success. And how do you view hmm. failure? Um, people quit often, not always, but people quit because 
they had a fantasy of what success was and they're, they're not there. It, the world they live in doesn't look like it. It looks, instead of X fantasy of success, it looks Y, which is their life. And mm. the delta, the gap between Y and X is too painful for them. And so they give up on the fantasy. And mm. I don't have judgment around that. I think it's more like... Um, it's maybe you wrong. should think but about that, yeah. <laughs> maybe you should think about what success would mean to you on a in a meaningful way like it's like if success of you is like winning the winning the pulitzer prize for fiction and that hasn't happened mm. and therefore you decide i don't want to write books anymore uh then that is valid it's just uh I'm not sure if it's going to be a happy day-to-day life. So, so, I mean, I think this comes out of this. Let me just say, broad, let's just say something broadly, which is like you hear a lot of this in the creative field because people spend a decade working on something mm-hmm. and then they don't quote-unquote make it, whatever that means to them or other people or whatever judgment they feel, and then they walk away. And sometimes the cycle is complete and they're like, you know what? I wrote eight scripts in 10 years and none of them got made and it's not how I want to spend my life anymore. And I want to reserve my creative energy for other parts of my life. I want to be a parent. I want to Mm -hmm. paint mandalas with Josh, like whatever I want to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that's kind of where I think this frame comes from. It's like, what are you, I mean, I think it's true. It's like, what are you quitting? Are you quitting being a creative person because that seems pretty hard to do for most people I know or are you quitting the fantasy of like my life will be okay when I publish a book I'm in a feature film whatever your definition is that's a beautiful discovery and sharing right there that is what what are you actually quitting yeah you're absolutely right that's it what are you quitting and are you quitting yourself when people graduate like from from graduate school or from or some learning institution are are they are they quitting grad school or did they graduate from grad school and yeah cuz a lot of people how, quit how, grad school <laughs> in fact they encourage quit. people to quit grad school in fact you can quit grad school after you when you graduate isn't that a form of quitting but people don't look at it as quitting because they th- they go oh i got this piece of paper but but all it means is that you stop going to grad school. You may have stopped going to grad school a little early. What I want to do is, I, here's, here's the thing, Adam, is I want to write a book about knowing when to quit something. Uh-huh. And it should be the definitive book. But the problem is, is that I'm only going to write like three quarters of it and then just stop writing just the book and then, well, publish it. <laughs> Seth and then publish it. I think it. Seth Godin wrote a book on quitting. Did he really? Yeah. <laughs> like, when do you know to quit? Uh, and should you quit? Uh, yeah, no, over. I like that idea. Yeah. You should just be like, well, what you should do is there should be a table of contents for chapters one through 20. And then when you get to <laughs> chapter 16 in the book, you'll be like, I didn't write the last five chapters. I just, just <laughs> decided to quit. The, the, the last 30 pages of the book are empty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is a, I, I would think you think about this in a nuanced way because you're someone who believed that actually creative projects are never finished. You just reach a stage of development where you're willing to share them with the world. The right? Because you still of, see feature yes. films. You're like, oh, that's not done. 
they shot it and they made it, but there are still issues in the story that could be better. Oh, yeah, because it's an ongoing developmental process. It's never, yeah, exactly. You're absolutely right. It's never done. And, and the quitting has to do with an external. And what I'm, if you, if you only reference the external world, then yeah, you can quit and you can join, you can start, you can end. But if you're, if you're referencing yourself, how can you quit yourself? Well, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, when I, when I get calls from sad artist writer friends about how, they're disappointed with where they are in their careers. And I have a lot of compassion because we've talked about this where I think part of being an artist is a need to share with the world and be seen. And mm -hmm. there are certain art forms that are really hard to do that. You know, they're collaborative. Film is a collaborative art form. TV is a collaborative art form. You cannot do it without other people and usually a fair amount of money. So there are people who have spent 10, 15, 20 years and they have no audience and that can be really hard and I have compassion. Mm -hmm. But for that, and you're in this like waiting period. And then even for people who quote unquote have made it in Hollywood, I have friends who they've made produce stuff and they still are waiting for something, you know, five years to get something made, seven years to get something made since their last project. I guess what I'm getting at is like the question I always ask people when they bring it is like, well, do you love doing, do you love writing? Do you love directing? Mm -hmm. Do you love doing this thing? Cause if you love doing it, then you find a way to continue to do it in a way that's meaningful for you, right? So like if you yeah. are in an art form where producing for an audience is super difficult, then I don't necessarily say you need to not continue to write feature scripts as hard as they are to get made right now, but like maybe figure out another way to tell a story that's more accessible, that's gonna be easier to make so you can connect with an audience. Yeah. Because there are short-term yeah. wins and long-term wins. So you, you, once you bring in the world of time, it's so interesting to me because um, there's this guy named Charlie Chaplin mm -hmm. who at, in his time was one of the most world-renowned actor, writer, director, producer, performer, musician. You know, you know he wrote a lot of the music in, in a lot of his films as well. He, talented he, guy. Insanely talented. And if you talk to someone today who's not in the entertainment industry, any, probably anyone from the ages of like maybe 40 and under, they'll say, they'll say to you, Charlie who? I know, I was about to say, you lost our whole millennial listenership when you brought up his name. Yeah. And so, and so he's, he's no, he, he no longer has an audience. Oh, he's dead. Although they'll bring him back with a hologram. But he doesn't have an audience. He, he, people don't know who he is. He, they don't know his work. He lost his audience. He's no longer relevant. It doesn't make a difference if you're alive or if you're dead. It's someone, so someone who made all the money in, on the world, who was the head of studios, you know, he, he, he was United Artists, right? He created Venice. The, the Venice Canals did not exist without Charlie Chaplin. You're talking about the Venice Canals in L.A.? Yes, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Just for people who don't live in L.A. Yeah, right. A lot of people Geography. don't know that there's this weird neighborhood in L.A. that was has canals in it and is called Venice and it was, I guess, modeled on some vision of Venice in yeah. Italy. It was Charlie Chaplin's vision because he was from Europe. So I'm trying to go with you on this little analogy teaching moment. Um, <laughs> I'm trying hard. But no, I... So are you saying like to people who don't who are working in an art form where 
it's collaborative and it's expensive and they're trying to get something done and saying like, look, you don't really have an audience right now for your work, but every artist deals with a period in their life where they don't have an audience. That's right. And so you should ask yourself, are you waking up every day and doing creative work and developing creatively in a way that makes you happy or is meaningful for you? Do do you love the art or do you love, or do you love yourself in the art, which is a, some sort of bastardized quote from some famous artist. But that's really what we're asking right now. It's like, do you love doing it for the art of doing it? Or do you love yourself doing it only? And it's okay to be wherever you are, but just know that as you transition to doing it because you love the art so much, that that then it's like we were saying before, it's fulfilling within itself. I I agree. I mean, like, these are kind of, I kind of feel like also the film and TV world is a small, it's kind of a teaching, but it's kind of a small part of the creative world because if you're a painter, if you're a YouTube channel dude, if you're a, a musician, you kind of can get your work out in the world in some small way, no matter. It's only these this weird world of film and TV where you can't really do anything for less than like $500,000 that there's this huge barrier, but it it's, is it's interesting because it's, it's instructive. The same thing. It's the same thing in opera though, in opera and in yeah. ballet and, sure. and other, other things of that ilk. Yeah. There are these art forms that are super collaborative and expensive and yes. they're, they're hard. They're hard for mm-hmm. people because there's a lot of time where you're not maybe being seen mm-hmm. and maybe they're there to teach us like, do you like dancing? Do you like directing? Do you like doing those things day to day? Because if you do them, you keep doing them. Which goes back to the original question of like, can you really quit if you just like doing the work? Like, is there a quitting? Exactly. Exactly. You know? Or is it more like, do you think people reach a point in their life where they're just like, I'm no longer interested in doing this sort of creative part of my life because i do meet people who just kind of stop writing they just got to a point in their life where like i don't need to write anymore and i don't think it's like from a sense i don't always think it's from a sense of failure or my life didn't look it's more like i just don't do this anymore and i don't feel the yearning to do it it depends upon where it's coming from yeah can you get to that place from an evolutionary perspective yes and I, I listen to uh, artists talking about like people who, people who make music and they go through this long period where they're finding music in silence. And they don't feel like they need to cr- write music anymore because they're hearing music in the silence. I mean, right. when you get to that space, that's such a beautiful space to be. Did they quit making music? No. D- you know, th- their discovery process is continuing. Right. So it depends upon what it, what it's coming out of. Is it coming out of pain or is it coming out of pleasure? That's true. That's true. Does it come from like there's this other thing in the world that's more engaging for you and more interesting to you and is drawing you? Or does it come mm-hmm. from like the, man, I'm never going to make it in Hollywood. I'm out of here. Like this wasn't mm-hmm. what I thought it would be. And now I'm like vaguely bitter and I'm going to go have children with a woman or vice versa. And I'm going to get a corporate job that gives me a steady income to support those children. And I'm just going to be like the bitter dad. (laughs) Yeah, my dream is to be the bitter dad. The bitter dad. Yeah. Hit it and quit it. 
You yeah, know, he's like I at mean, soccer practice, standing next to one of the other fathers, who uh, is a maybe let's say uh, a successful director. Mm-hmm. And then when this when it comes up, there's just like a muted silence, or he's like muttering to the side. Yeah, but that guy had all the connections. I didn't have that. I didn't have those. If I'd had those connections, you know where I'd be today. That guy. Yeah, yeah. Got it. It felt bad just doing the impersonation. Wanted to throw up. I, I could feel that from you. That was tough. <laughs> oh no! Just because I felt bad for the kid in this story, <laughs> the kid of that guy. You have so much empathy, Adam. Yeah, yeah. That that kid would be absorbing a lot of energy. Yeah, not fun. Maybe because also I grew up in LA mostly, mm-hmm. and I saw a bit of that. That actually made me never want to be anywhere near Hollywood. Growing up in LA killed it for me. Wow. The sense so, of, cause this, this goes back to quitting and the sense of success is I hated that feeling that people wanted to be elsewhere than where they were, that where they were was not enough. I, and dare I say, that's all of life. I mean, uh, most people are always wanting to be somewhere else than here and now. Do you think like a Montana cattle farmer is like, man, I wish I had the cattle farm next door. He's got 5,000 cows and I've only got 1,000. I don't think it works like that. I don't think that's I feel true like, everywhere. I, I think I think it's I particularly like, toxic in LA. I feel like it shows up in in people's um, holiday choices, because almost without exception, people from the city go to the country, and people from the country go to the city when they go on holiday. Mm. You know, and and we yearn to experience that which we don't experience mostly, and and sometimes doing it for two weeks is enough, and sometimes it's not. Wow. But as soon as I do, if 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 this then that, if yeah. as soon as I do if this then that, then then for sure I'm I'm in the world of wanting to be someplace else. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, I agree. And I try to work on that. It's that fan. David Sedaris has this great essay in Me Talk Pretty One Day, his book, um, mm-hmm. in which he talks about the fantasies he has when he can't sleep at night, and they're so good. Cause he's so honest and they're always like <laughs> him being like, hero- I, I'm, I don't remember exactly what they were, but they were like, you know, I'm a doctor and I save all these people, but then I have to leave because my lover waits for me in an Island somewhere. Like it's just all the fantasies he has, the places he'd rather be than where he is, which is just laying in bed with insomnia. <laughs> and it's so, <laughs> and they're so intricate. And I was like, yeah, I get that. I've had that fantasy. Like when you're laying in bed, you're like, you know, wanting to be elsewhere. That's funny. Well, I think we uh, pretty much, you can look, you can look for a DJ Josh Townsend coming to uh, a stage shortly. I'm so excited for your loopy career. Oh, oh, rock star. That's the other one that's expensive. It's expensive to be a rock star. It takes a lot of people to be a rock star. Is it? No. Is it really? Yeah. Yeah, because you got to book like a stadium. You got to get sound yeah. guys. You got to get roadies. I guess you, know, you got to get like three hundred thousand screaming fans. But there is a you can scale down on that. You can scale <laughs> down. You can go play your local coffee shop and still be a musician. It's pretty hard. It's not impossible. It's hard to scale down a hundred and ten minute movie. <laughs> I'm talking about being a rock star. Like if I wanted like ten. I agree. I know what you're saying. Star. Like I wanna. I wanna be like playing arena rock like at the Meadowlands in Jersey. Yeah. Like, I got it. I got it. Like that 
But that's more just like you're greedy for fame. Whereas like, <laughs> like it's really hard. Just like there's certain art forms, like it's pretty hard to put on an opera, like on a right. budget, on a budget. Yeah. Maybe you yeah, can do yeah. it. Are there some budget? Look, if you're doing a budget opera out there for 600 bucks, call me. <laughs> I want to know. <laughs> there's that lady who's the dancer out in Palm Springs area uh-huh. where she has like all these people in the theater and they're all painted and then she performs for them. She's somewhat famous. She's like 80, 90 years old. And oh, so she, she created her audience? She built an audience? She, yeah, and then there's a few empty seats for real people. But, um, and then she gets dressed up in her tutu, and she like dances for the audience. And oh, man. This is, she has, this a, show, she, she, <laughs> like she has a show every night. She, she has a 7 o'clock show, and then the 10 o'clock show is topless. You know, the usual. You know. <laughs> nice. I do that with yeah. toy soldiers. <laughs> um, there's a... There's a uh, a documentary called Holy Hell, I believe it's called, about this cult in the 80s uh-huh. and 90s in L.A. And then uh-huh. I think it moved. But the cult leader was this, you know, like shocking and extreme narcissist. And um, one of his like so there's all the usual improprieties that happen in cults, which is like sexual boundaries violated, all that stuff. But his thing was that he, I think. First off, he only allowed really good-looking people into the cult, really encouraged <laughs> plastic surgery. He was, had really like nice body. I think he'd had some plastic work done. And, um, but the one thing that was funny is like the whole year they would work on this huge sort of theatrical production, uh-huh. and it was basically all devoted to him. And then they would perform, perform for like the cult community and then, like, people would be giving him flowers at the end. And apparently he would dress it up as having spiritual meaning. But the whole thing was basically about him having his, his you know, his Broadway moment. That's it's pretty hysterical. hilarious. It's, like, not funny, but funny. Yeah. Because <laughs> he also sounded like uh, someone who wasn't good with sexual boundaries. Uh <laughs> Well, we hope we've lifted you up on why today's does it, Why, why does, does it seem that, like, like usually when, when I hear the word narcissist, uh-huh. I usually think of, of, of like, men. Do you? Do you yeah, I do, too. I do, too. I think of, you see them sometimes. Um, yeah. I wonder if Elizabeth Holmes would have been classified as a narcissist. I'm trying to think of some female narcissists. Elizabeth Holmes was the the woman that they just made a documentary about, I think Alex Gibney made it yeah. on HBO about Theranos. She uh, defrauded yeah. a bunch of investors. She believed she was going to create this product and then told people she was creating it even when she wasn't. Um, and tricked a lot of people into giving her money. I don't know if she would be considered a narcissist. She certainly got some mental health problems, I would guess, if you had to evaluate that. Um, but yeah, I do. I do. I think to be a little bit of a narcissist, a, you have to be um, around people who give you power. <laughs> and I, I do wonder if maybe, maybe as a culture we're more willing to do that for men. Because if you're a narcissist and no one will buy into your like, power games, it's uh-huh. kind of less fun to be a narcissist. You kind of like, you kind of, uh-huh. a narcissist often exists in a relationship. You have to be tolerated by someone. Oh, you mean so you couldn't be like a loner narcissist? I mean, what would that look like? Then you're just like crazy. You're what? You're sitting in a room with your stuffed animals, and they're watching you perform your play. 
<laughs> and you're like, aren't I the greatest? Aren't my needs important? I mean, no, to be a narcissist, you have to be in relationship to people and be like, I'm the center of the universe, go buy me groceries. So, and then listen to me talk about my problems for 15 hours, right? Like you have to. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're right on. I'm just like, I'm just taking this in. Wow. So if you're, but if you're, a, if you're a mom, I'm just thinking like, I usually think of narcissists in, in relationship to the gender of male. Uh-huh. But if I look at narcissism in relationship to females, then one of the setups for a female to be a good narcissist would be to have a lot of kids. Well, you're actually 100% on, Joshua. Because when I think of female narcissists, the context that always comes is I have a few female friends who consider their mothers narcissists and they have very complicated relationships with their mothers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, yeah. Because that would be a power dynamic that the, that the, that the birth giver would, would, could possibly move towards. Right. And sometimes what I've seen dynamics in these families is they have a, a, a daughter and a son and the daughter finds the mother to be a complete narcissist and, can't handle being around them at all and then the mother then the the son has sort of a codependent unhealthy mother son relationship in which they're constantly caretaking the mother wow that's what i've seen so they're caretaking and then that causes conflict in the sibling relationship because there's one person i mean because it's a little bit like being in a cult like you You've lost your power in a narcissist relationship because all the needs of someone else are more important than your own. That's fascinating. Are we going to do something on cults? I can't wait. For, I have to be honest. I'm so excited. Have you heard about the Nexium cult in uh, yes. New York um, with yes. Keith Rainier and there was he that got, woman, got, woman on got, Smallville? Got, yeah, the trial's yeah. going on right now. Or as well, well he, he got he got convicted. He got put away for what thirty seven years. Oh, or I something? didn't I didn't realize there was a conviction already. For, for um, him, not for not for the other two lady or the right. other two or three people. Yeah. But I just can't wait for the documentary. It can't happen fast <laughs> enough. I'm so excited. <laughs> I mean, we're living in the golden age of cult filmmaking, and That's I don't true. mean like indie. I mean like Wild Wild Country was amazing. Uh, Dear Franklin mm-hmm. Jones, I'm a big fan of the podcast, another cult podcast. The 30 for 30 mm-hmm. on Bikram Yoga was another great one. We're just, everyone wants to make, it seems like, I don't know how these things happen, but all of a sudden, the Scientology documentary by Alex Gibney, mm-hmm. everyone's doing work on cults right now. I feel like part of it is is the expose aspect. I feel like part of it is that the technology is so inexpensive that you know you can have sure. rogue you can have rogue groups get out there and really do whatever they want to do, uh, and it's also the, the exposing the underbelly of of that which, how it was presented, and then the truth. Yeah, I think there's something psychological about the dark side of power. I think that's it. It's also like there's people who are fascinated by like. Um, like what happens when someone takes someone because usually they're character driven and there's someone mm-hmm. at the center who is the cult leader who we're fascinated by. And what did this man do? Usually it's a man to mm-hmm. take power from everyone else. Like we're sort of mm-hmm. fascinated on a power level. I think mm-hmm. that's part of it. Um, I also just think they almost all these situations have some sort of sexual impropriety. Mm-hmm. And I, that's usually an easy sell to get it made. Um, Someone was talking about this thing, which I found fascinating, which is uh, Tiger Woods and all these other uh, Tiger Woods and some cult leaders and I'm trying to think presidents and everything else is that they go. It's not that the men are that different. It's just that the men have access to 
blank, whatever it is, right? Money, sex, power. Yeah. And then because of that access, a certain aspect of their of their character or lack thereof gets exposed. But, this is but a question men, I think about a lot. But most men never have the access, so it never comes up. So you don't really know because you don't you can you can sit there and speculate all day long of how you'd react. But you don't really know how you're going to react until until the million dollars is in your is in your suitcase or, you know, or the girl sitting on your lap or or or. Right. Yeah. I mean, you don't know, I guess, until you have opportunities to exploit power. You don't really know whether you would. One would hope that if you're not, I think people who exploit that power are typically drawn to the power like so mm-hmm. if you don't have a burning desire to like have a harem mm-hmm. or like to like you know if that's not your or to like control other people in mass like i think you're probably less likely to exploit that power if you were to ever get it but the question i have that i've been thinking about is like if are men intrinsically more prone to this type of behavior than women or is it that men just have much greater opportunity? Like, so I'm really curious in the next couple hundred years, like, you know, if we reach, you know, wage parity, economic parity, power parity in the corporate mm-hmm. world, in the political world between men and women, mm-hmm. if we will see a re- reduction in the exploitative behavior of corporate America governments, or whether it's just a function of there isn't actually a big gender difference here. It's just a function of the fact that like men have figured out ways to have these power positions and then they behave badly because traits come out which are not healthy. Because I think about this a lot because I, I worry a lot about climate change. I, I worked on, I wrote about climate change for a long time. And part of why I would like to see more um, female women in power and in political office is because I'm hopeful that they will make better decisions around mm-hmm. these issues. Mm-hmm. I think about that. Um, and, but I, I don't know. I don't know. I wonder if maybe that's an illusion. Yeah. I mean, I, I got saddened by that lady from Georgia who was the Senator or the governor or, and she was like, she was doing racist. Was it a racist joke? She, she did the thing about like something about, I'd go to a lynching or something. Uh, and she also, yeah. and then she was also on tape about like doing some sort of misogynistic joke. She was doing a misogynistic joke in front right. of a bunch of men. And I'm like, so there's no change. Well, She's, I kind of think of it like, yeah, I agree. I mean, they're always going to be like bad actors in every ethnic yeah. and gender group. Um, I wonder if it's just like statistically we're better off. <laughs> That's what I wonder off. Like, oh, yeah. if we, like statistically, like if we can just bend the curve a little bit like that's what i'm wondering like if you just had more like if it were 50 50 what would it look like but for sure i mean i'm there sure no one. doubt there are many black people who are disappointed with um uh clarence thomas on the supreme court and his decision decisions yeah. right yeah. <laughs> right there are always people yeah. who do, are not representative of the group from which they come and the values and the desires of that group but both of these people are playing at such high levels. She was governor of a state. He's a member of the Supreme Court. W- one thing that I found really fascinating is this. is um, I think it's in Norway, I think. But it's in one of those northern European countries that are socialists. Where women, women no longer need to get married in order to have kids. Because, right. because the state is going to take care of them no matter what. 
And because of that, and they've, they've documented it, they say that women are now not so interested in getting married. Like they don't yeah, that to. makes sense to me. So it has changed behavior based on, based on the political economic system that a country um, uh, lives by. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. I surely believe the desire to get married is very economically... I mean, it's an economic contract, basically. Mm-hmm. It's not... has nothing to do with, like, your spiritual and soul commitment to another human being. It's, it's, a, it's a legal document in the event that, the event that ha- things have to be... Uh, spl- pro- assets and property have to be split at a later point. Yeah, it's a third... And because a third party's involved, the state... Yeah, the state exactly. of California, yeah. So I found that really interesting. So I, I, fi- I find it interesting to see what's going to, like what you're asking about, what happens when we have parity, at least in numbers, in yeah. terms of being in different positions. Well, you know, and, and things will change. It'll just be interesting to see you how. You might get weird unintended consequences, too. Unintended consequences. I can't wait to find out what those are. You know, like, I'm just, you're talking, I'm just like, huh, I wonder if the way men thought about having children would change if there was, like, universal child care. You know, and, like, so, like, there's, there are, like, Canada, I believe, has universal child care. Uh-huh. So we don't have that in America, right? In America, uh-huh. I think you have a right to have your child educated from about age four, right? That's when the government says, comes in and says, we'll take care of your child educationally during the day for you, right? But there are other yeah. places in the world where that starts at, like, three months. So it's like, wow. would my, you know, like, would someone's interest in having children change if they're like, well... From six months of age, like basically someone else's problem during the day, <laughs> like it's going to get like daycare, you know. So and I wonder if that would change the way like men feel about having children, because I have, I have I do know men who and women who the, the sheer financial burden of having a child in the United States today is a factor for them. Yeah. Keeps but them from just, getting in touch with their home. getting in touch with their paternal instincts. You just brought in a whole other thing, which is most people aren't aware that, at least in the state of California, first grade from first grade to twelfth grade is mandatory, or tenth or eleventh grade is mandatory, unless you get, you know, ERD or whatever it's called, the early graduation diploma thing. Uh-huh. But it, you're required by the state of California to be there, and if you're not there, your parents can get in trouble, right? Really? So yeah, so you actually become a ward of the state. You, a ch- every child is a ward of the state of California. Between the ages of, like, first grade and 12th grade. Right. But you can, like, homeschool, right? Teach them, like, there, how to make, like... There are to, exceptions. Like, make go cheese and play video there, games, whatever you, yeah, whatever the, you define yeah, as education. There's legal documentation that you can do that would circumvent that. But in general, that's, that's how it's set up. And people aren't aware of that, that. And in that time period, the state is educating your child of all different kinds of things. Morality, what to do with money, how, yeah. what history was really like, and what's approved yeah. by the state is what goes in. Teaching evolution. It's amazing. Teaching I a think lot it's of a evolution cult. in those schools. <laughs> Sounds like a cult to I, me. I think it's a cult. Yeah. <laughs> I was it's thinking about going to public high school in L.A., and I was like, it was a really incompetent cult, I'll just be honest. So, <laughs> <laughs> not a well-run cult. Yeah. Oh, I love you. Oh. I love you, LUSD. Yeah. Well, when do you know when to quit? Okay. <laughs> I don't, when, we you go, when you go like on a tangent like we just did for the last 20 minutes. Yeah, you know when to stop. It's time to stop. Yeah. Stop hurting yeah. your yeah. listeners. Yes, they paid good now. money for this podcast. Uh, 
This has been Notes on Your Notes. You can find all of our updates on Facebook and Instagram. Like us in those places to get updates on new episodes, particularly Facebook, and rate us. We love that. In fact, rate us, then send us an email at notesinyournotes at gmail saying you rate us, rated us, and we'll write you back. We're that kind of guy. Uh, also, you could send us an idea for a show. We always like that. We also still have a phone number, 415-735-6095. You can send us a note there. Leave a little voicemail. The sound on this show has been courtesy of Kevin McLeod and the audio editing and design is courtesy of me. We'll talk to you next week.